I want to talk this morning about identity, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, which is the text we'll be considering today, Ephesians chapter 1. I want to talk about our identity this morning, specifically our identity as the blessed people of God, a blessed people. Now, to a certain extent, I I want to make an observation first that perhaps some of us are not altogether comfortable with, that identity, in many ways, is something that we are given by forces beyond our control. Whether it's through our parentage, our genetics, the environment in which we grew up, the country in which we were born, the culture in which we were reared, very much of who and what we are is dependent on something outside of ourselves. And perhaps we're proud of this fact. Perhaps we're proud of where we come from and who we are. Perhaps we are actually troubled, even tortured, by our sense of an identity that we cannot escape. And in many ways, this fact runs against the grain of the dominant cultural way of thinking about identity, that really if we want to have an authentic identity, it's up to us to be a self-made man, to be a person who can divorce himself in whatever way is possible from his environment, from his background, from people who have expectations, to whom we are obligated, our traditions, our contexts. We are taught that to be an authentic human being, we need to make our own identity. And the irony, of course, is that even this is a culturally conditioned identity that we are given that we are told we need to have. So I think that if we're going to be honest with ourselves, especially as Christians who believe that we are creatures, that we are created by God, we need to acknowledge that our identity, who and what we are, is not something that we simply make for ourselves, but something that we accept as a gift from the God who created us. And that true freedom lies not in being able to make our own choices about everything and separate ourselves from any kind of outside influence, but in being set free to be the things we were created to be, creatures (laughs) creatures, creatures who exist to the praise of the God who created us. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, Not so much will I get an identity from somewhere, but where will that be? And Paul gives us a very clear answer here in Ephesians, really throughout the letter of Ephesians. This book, in many ways, is the letter about our identity as the people of God. In Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul is saying, in essence, here's who you are. And then, in chapters 4 through 6, he begins, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So, here's who you are. Now be who you are as God's people. And who we are is what I want to talk about this morning. So he begins in verse 3, interestingly enough, not with us, but with God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For Christians, our identity, who and what we are, does not begin with ourself, but it comes from without us. It comes from outside of us and is given to us as a gift. And we don't simply point to God and say, this is the origin of who we are. We say, blessed be God. Our identity as God's people is doxological. It's about bringing praise to the God who has created created us and made us what we are. 
So our identity is not self-made. It is a gift from God. And as Paul says, this identity comes as a blessing. We bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. So I want to talk about this identity, this blessedness that we have this morning. And I see in this verse, verse 3, really three threads of what our blessedness is, what it involves, that are woven throughout this passage. First of all, Paul says, our blessedness comes through the will, the initiative, the purpose of God the Father, God the Father who has blessed us. Second, it comes to us in and only in Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ, Paul says. And thirdly, this blessedness is sealed to us by the Holy Spirit, and it consists in a spiritual blessedness, not a worldly blessedness, not a blessedness that the world looks at and says, ah, look, there's blessedness. So, the Father's initiative in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, hopefully to Trinitarian folks like us, this text rings a bell. So first of all, our blessedness comes through the initiative of God the Father. We see throughout verses 3 through 14 that God is from first to last the actor, the one who is moving. He has chosen us, verse 4, in Christ from before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's like we sang in our first hymn this morning, uh, Stand up and bless the Lord, ye people of his choice. We see that we are the people whom God has chosen. We are here because of his initiative. This is the doctrine of election. It says that we are predestined, not so much uh, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, but he says we are predestined for adoption as sons. God has foredetermined that he is going to bring people into his family who will exist to his praise. This began long ago with Abraham, through whose descendants we have come to share in the riches of God's kingdom. So first, God is is the chooser. He's the one who sets us apart for himself. As we continue on, we see that God is our savior. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that is God's grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth. Lest we should become too confident in ourselves and say, oh look, well I'm part of the people of God, aren't I special? The reality that we're confronted with is that in becoming the people of God, we can only become that through God's mercy, through forgiveness. We are God's people in spite of who we are. We are God's people because of what he has made us by redeeming us through the blood of Christ. And then finally, we see that God is the God who promises. In verse 11, it says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God, in his predestining purposes, has seen fit to promise us an inheritance precisely as his children, as the people whom he's redeemed. And the Holy Spirit, Paul says, is the guarantee of that inheritance that God has poured out on us. So we have this guarantee that we have an inheritance in him. So we see 
that God is the one who chooses, God is the one who saves, God is the one who promises. And through this, we have this identity, this blessed identity, as being the chosen, redeemed, expectant people of God. And what does this mean for the way we live our lives, I want to ask? You see, to know our identity, to know who we are and what we must be, we have to know first who God is. And this is an issue that the culture has very much reversed and put in the opposite direction, especially for the last few centuries. The main question that we've been preoccupied with has not been so much who is God, but who am I? And if we talk about God, it's whom do I experience him to be? And while this way of thinking is very much the driving force behind what we call Protestant liberalism, it is also very much a part of the way every one of us thinks. We are inclined to look at our circumstances, to look at the situation in which we find ourselves, and decide on the basis of that who God must therefore be. We think of our blessedness in terms of what we see, which is very much against what Paul is talking about here. For us, we must have this straight first. Who is God? He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And our experience must be interpreted in the light of that awareness of God, who he is, what he has done for us. So that's first. Secondly, our blessedness in this passage comes through, in and through, Jesus the Messiah. Paul says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And so all of the things in this passage, if you read through it, you'll notice this recurring phrase again and again, in Christ, in him, in him. At one point it says, uh, through him. He chose us in him. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. He made known the mystery of his will according to a plan that he set forth in in Christ, to unite all things in Christ, to give us an inheritance in Christ. You know, it's, it's really not the least bit of an exaggeration to say that without the preposition in, blessed art thou among prepositions, if it weren't for the preposition in, Paul's theology would crumble to the ground because you see Jesus Christ is at the heart of everything that the apostle believes about who God is, what he's doing, and how we become a part of that. It is only through participating in the reality that is Jesus Christ that we can know who God is, that we can experience blessedness in this world. And I want to focus on one particular aspect of that participation in Christ this morning. Because you see, at the heart of what Paul says about our blessedness in Christ, we find verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What is blessedness? Does it have anything to do with me? Is it because of my background, my pedigree, my popularity, my recognition, my achievements? Our blessedness is found in a very surprising place. It's found in the Son of God bleeding to death on a cross. That's our blessedness. That we who were enslaved to sin and death can be set free from it through God's willingness to give his only son for our redemption. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. 
This is actually an image of the exodus, that we are like Israel and Egypt. We are the slaves who have been redeemed. We've been bought back from slavery and led by our God through the blood of the slain lamb into freedom. That is blessedness, brothers and sisters. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And all of this is part of a plan, Paul says, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is where this is going ultimately. Uh, Perhaps a better way to translate it would be it's a plan for the fullness of time to sum up all things in Christ, to put everything under the heading of Jesus Christ. He is the one of whom Paul says later in this chapter, in verse 19, um, he has worked his great might in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. You want the gospel in one sentence? There, there are probably many ways that you could put it, but one way to put it is this. The gospel is the good news that the one who bled for our redemption and died has been raised by God and enthroned as this world's true Lord to whom all owe allegiance. That's the good news. That the love that was willing to bleed for our redemption is now enthroned over this world. And, amazingly enough, we are given the blessedness, the blessing of being people who identify with this one, who participate in his purposes. Paul says he gave him his head over all things to the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are supposed to be the means by which God fills the world with Jesus Christ. And that is a blessing. You know, I said earlier that our identity is something that in many ways is given to us. It's because we're creatures. Well, here we see that reflected in that as creatures made in the image of God, we were given this task, this commission, that we would be the people through whom God rules the world. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, be kings and queens of my creation. And even though we've turned away from that purpose, even though we've gone our own way and decided to be the kings and queens of our own little worlds, God has triumphed in Jesus Christ. And that purpose of our existence has been fulfilled in the one of whom Paul said he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's what freedom is. Freedom is not being able to do whatever we want, be whoever we want, in separation from everyone and everything around us. Freedom is being liberated to be what we were made to be, the presence of God in this world. That's blessedness. That's what it means to be the blessed, the the chosen, the redeemed, the expectant, people of God in this world. That's our blessedness. And thirdly, and finally, this blessedness, Paul says, is sealed to us through the Holy Spirit, and this blessedness is specifically spiritual in nature. In other words, in in the terms of Paul's theology, this blessedness is not of the flesh. It is not a fleshly, worldly, natural blessedness that the world would look at and and consider to be blessed. 
If you ask what makes us the blessed, beloved people of God, there are a variety of answers that you can find in the church today that are unfortunately deeply mistaken. Really, these, the two that I'm going to describe are two sides of the same coin. But one that you might hear is what's called the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which says in essence that when we believe in God, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are enlisting God in our own project of personal fulfillment, and that because we have believed in Jesus, God is going to bless us, bless us with more of the world's stuff, money, wealth, possessions. It's based on a mistaken reading of themes you find in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. That, that that's what being a Christian is all about. That's what blessedness looks like, a worldly blessedness. The other side of that coin, you find what you could call the therapeutic gospel, which is really just sort of the emotional version of that. I get God on my side so that I can feel good all the time, so that I can have refurbished self-esteem, self-image, so that I can never um, have any sense of suffering or anguish in this world. And in line with this way of thinking, um, I, I think of a saying that a friend of mine heard on a test she took when she was in Christian high school that said on this test, perhaps as a joke, but it said, Christians are too blessed to be stressed or depressed. <laughs> Isn't that a neat little ditty? <laughs> um, which sounds fine when your life is going well and you point to God as the source of your blessings, which you were right to do. But try telling that to the man of sorrows who said, you must take up your cross and follow me. The world will be rejoicing, but you will be sorrowful. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus did not die on the cross saying, Christians are too blessed to be stressed or depressed. Nor did he die on the cross saying, as in Monty Python's Life of Brian, always look on the bright side of life. He died saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God was able to say that. And if we take the cross seriously, if we really believe that the cross is at the center of who we are as God's blessed people, then we have to acknowledge that blessedness does not consist in God giving us more of the world's stuff, in God improving our fleshly circumstances and fulfilling us in that way, but we experience God's closeness, we experience belonging to him in the midst of suffering. That's where we know what blessedness is. That we belong to him as our father who has chosen us, who has saved us, who has promised us an inheritance in any fleshly circumstance up to and including death. That's blessedness. To be the children of God who belong to their father as Jesus did on the cross, no matter what may befall us. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we see that real blessedness is not about having more of the world's stuff, but it's about being a different sort of people in the world, the people who've been given God's grace. This is what Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessedness is having an inheritance with God bestowed by grace that surpasses anything the world has to offer to us. 
And we need to set our minds on that, especially when our worldly circumstances are less than desirable. And lastly, this is applied to us by the Holy Spirit, Paul says, that, that uh, when we believed in him, verse 13, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. An inheritance, it's the guarantee. You could translate it the, the down payment. The Holy Spirit is the first installment that gives us a little taste of what's eventually going to become ours in all its fullness. The ability to hope for the new world that, is, that God has already begun to make in Jesus Christ, the inheritance that we're going to have in the kingdom of God, that is blessedness. To be able to long for that more than just more of the world's stuff. Throughout Paul's theology, throughout his letters, especially in Romans 8, we see that when the Holy Spirit comes, it doesn't come simply to make us more comfortable. Actually, if anything, it does the opposite. It makes us people who groan as we await our redemption, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, Paul says in Romans 8. That's blessedness to be able to groan for God's future, a future that really, if we hope in that future, it actually brings us into contradiction with the world around us. It leaves us dissatisfied with things as they are around us. That's blessedness. It's an upside-down blessedness in the world's eyes, but it is the blessedness that we enjoy, as Paul says, as the chosen, redeemed, and expectant people of God. And so I want to conclude just by asking a very simple question in light of this text and what we've talked about. Simply, why? Why has God done this? Why has God gone to all of the trouble to choose a people for himself, to forgive them at the cost of the most precious thing there is to him, his son's life, and then to bestow on them an inheritance that they've done nothing to deserve? Why would God do that? The answer is repeated several times throughout our passage in Ephesians. Perhaps the best verse to look at is verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's what this is all about. That's what our identity is all about. It's not about me finding my own personal fulfillment of which God is kind of a part and he's really on my side so I'll get to do the things that I want. Blessedness is being a creature that exists to the praise of God's grace. Of being people in whom, in the midst of all of the darkness that fills their lives, have God with them and show in their life that he loves, that he forgives, that he is compassionate, that he redeems. He is a God of grace. Our identity exists in order to show what God's identity really is. So may we take hold of that identity. May we meditate on it. May we think of it. And in all of that, be built up by God to be the people who show in our lives and show especially together as one family, as the children of God, what God's grace actually looks like. So that we can be, as Paul says in another letter, always giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen.